Walt Disney World is a tribute to the philosophy and the life of Walter Elias Disney and to the talents, the dedication, and the loyalty of the entire Disney organization that made Walt Disney's dream come true. May Walt Disney World bring joy and inspiration and new knowledge to all who come to this happy place. A magic kingdom where the young at heart of all ages can laugh and play and learn together. Dedicated this 25th day of October, 1971. Welcome to this happy podcast. I'm your host, Matt Palmer, joined by my fellow Mouseketeers and co-hosts, John Grosso and Paul Jarzembowski. This week, we're traveling back in time to October of 1971 and the grand opening of Walt Disney's second dream, a Magic Kingdom and beyond for the East Coast. We share what it would be like to enter the park for the first time and what we would want to do first. Welcome, fellas. Oh, it's so good to be here. I mean, we're just, you know, we're, we're, we're on the cusp of the 50th anniversary. That's right. It, it, you, could, you could feel it. You could feel things are getting touched up and beautified and cleaned at Disney. The uh, live streams for the new fireworks shows start tomorrow. We're recording this sort of on Tuesday night. There's this like atmosphere of excitement. It feels almost like Disney Christmas Eve. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Right? I'm like, I'm ready for Mickey Mouse to come down the chimney and deliver all the wonderful 50th anniversary uh, surprises. I think and he's going to deliver attractions to everybody. That's right. And probably tears. And when I watch the fireworks shows, the ABC special, the everything's I'm ready. I'm, I, I'm, I'm hydrating now just because it's going to be a lot. This is fantastic. Um, it's, it's really remarkable that the park, you know, obviously the magic kingdom was the, the lone park in 1971 when the East coast got its version of Disneyland. Um, but we're looking at this and we're, we're, we're looking back. The premise of this week's show is what would we do first if we walked into the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World in 1971, where Marty McFly arriving back, seeing our parents walk around the park and being like, what's up with those lame people? Or why are they so cool now? My parents would have to be accompanied by an adult because they were very young then. I just got to throw that one out there. My parents in a while. Would, would be celebrating because they did not go, but they, they, they had their 50th, this is their 50th anniversary year. They were married in 1971 in May of, actually May 1st of 1971. So this would be October 1st of 71. So just a few months after. So they'd be newlyweds walking around the park. That would be actually really fun to wouldn't that be wonderful walk with my parents around as newlyweds around to the be park young and in love and in Disney exactly I'd be able to accompany my young adult parents <laughs> you bump into them and uh, your mom is like that guy looks a lot like you Paul <laughs> and then you say hey if you ever have a kid named Paul go easy on him huh go easy on him on that one time when he knows <laughs> Whenever he burns the carpet. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. So let's take this back. Guys, 
you got your uh, your way back glasses on. We're going back. Where are you going first? What attraction are you going to target first when you walk into Walt Disney World? Who wants to go first? I'll, I'll go in. So, you know, I mean, I'm thinking of this, this setting. First of all, I, as you know, I'm a, I'm a resort guy. I'm a monorail guy. So I, I think first before I even get in the park, I'm going to be excited to just, I want to ride the monorail around through the just finished contemporary, just finished Polynesian, and then slide into the, the station um, for the first time. Um, I would love to, first of all, just experience that. Um, the resorts, that I, I, would love to, I, I would love to be staying at the resorts, at that freshly minted contemporary, the freshly minted Polynesian. I think that would be just wonderful and just to smell the air, to, to smell the big flower display the, in, the, in the center of the Polynesian. So I'd be all about that. But once I got in the park, um, I think knowing what I know now, like, I, I, like we're, we're, we're going back in time. So it's not like, so I've experienced all this before. So I, I wouldn't need to go on the Jungle Cruise because, well, I've been on Jungle Cruise. I wouldn't need to go in the Hall of Presidents as tempting as it might be because I've been in the Hall of Presidents or the Haunted Mansion. So I, So for me, one thing that I would probably go on because no Disney park at the moment has one of these is the, uh, the Skyliner or the, 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 the Skyway, the buckets that would go from Tomorrowland to Fantasyland. But there's another reason why I would do it is I think for me, I, and, and, and Sarah and I were talking about this the other day, partly, I think, first of all, I would walk slowly. Um, I would just want to take it all in. I'd want to experience just the buzz of that first moment to see people seeing Disney for the first time. Because to me, that's what gives us joy is watching when, when, when somebody experiences something that we find so enjoyable, when they experience that for the first time uh, or when they, or the first time in a long while, um, it gives us great joy. Um, that's why, you know, and this is a little PSA. If you ever wanna, if you ever wanna go down to Orlando and you wanna hang with us at the Disney parks, we would love to watch you watch Disney um, because we love watching. Not in a creepy way, in a good way. Not in a creepy way, <laughs> no. In a totally cool accompaniment way. Yeah, 100%, all in. But yeah, I just oh, wanted yeah. to clarify that. Yeah, thank you. So I'm, you know, so I think the reason why the Skyway is kind of neat is because you get to look down and see the crowd. So number one, after making a slow way through, um, to I'm guessing I'd like to go to the Fantasyland one because I'd like to walk through the castle um, and do that on the opening day and then walk to the Fantasyland station of the Skyway. Again, it doesn't exist right now and get on the bucket to go above, uh, to above the crowds and to just go back and forth, maybe go to the Tomorrowland station and then come back so that I can look down and see all the different people um, to see that there is a, uh, well, one of the things I'd probably go to after that would be the the, the Finding Nemo, or I guess it would be Captain Nemo's uh, ship. 40,000 Leagues Under the Sea. 40, Leagues Under the Sea. Was Thank that you. an opening day yes. attraction? Actually, I don't think it, I don't think it actually was. I think it was just a few, little bit afterwards. It's not. Yeah. No. Mr. Toad's Wild Ride wasn't there on opening day. Uh, 20,000 Leagues wasn't either. Yeah, they some of those they installed like the next day or they installed a couple months or a couple of years later. Um, but 
there'd probably be the lake that where the where the ride would go. Um, so I'd kind of just want to see how the topography is there. I'd kind of be curious, even looking over towards uh, Frontierland to see a Frontierland without Thunder Mountain Railroad. Um, you know, so I to me, I would take in just seeing kind of a fresh landscape and just watching the people. Um, I guess one other little thing is while I'm walking down Main Street to get to the castle and to and all that, I'd actually want to go in the shops um, because the shops would. One of the things that was unique about those early Disney shops is that they each individually sold something different from the other. Today, our shops kind of there's a kind of a genericness to them, and they're all kind of connect. But like at this time, you could go into the hat shop and it would just sell hats. You could just go into the camera shop and it just sold cameras. There was a magic shop that just sold magic tricks. So I think I would like to go into shops that were very one unique from the other, um, which is again, something that isn't there now. Um, so I guess that's what I would do. Um, but I, you know, um, cause I, 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 at first I thought was I'd wanna go and just sit at the feet of Roy Disney, but I'm realizing that technically speaking, Roy Disney didn't make the dedication speech until three weeks after this opening day. So it wasn't until like, I think October 23rd or 25th where he made the dedication speech. Um, so it's not quite opening day, but if I could find Roy somewhere in the parks, um, if I could find some of those Imagineers, I'd certainly want to run up to them, but I'm afraid they wouldn't be there that day. They'd probably be like, we're holding back. Um, in fact, I even read that some of the Imagineers were putting so many final touches that they slept overnight in uh, in like the Country Bear Jamboree. Like, oh they, my gosh, you know, great place to sleep. I mean, some of them actually, I think I read that one of them, uh, they were worried that they wouldn't be able to get back in the next day after they drove out for the night because of the rush of the crowds. So they figured, well, if I have to be here first thing in the morning and I'm working here till like 1130 midnight, might as well just sleep here. And so, and I thought to myself, what now, now that's what I'd like to do is just sleep in the park overnight on opening day. But that, that would not be afforded us in our time travel and imagination. So, so again, sky buckets, watching the crowds, seeing those unique things. I kind of went a lot of places, but that's, it's kind of exciting. I mean, you know, this would be really cool to, to experience that. You know, I'm, I know I'm going to go next i'm gonna take the shot to go next i you know i think i want to correct myself because i think mr toad's wild ride i was there on opening was there, oh yeah. yeah i i even though I, I feel like i should know this in my soul i have my phone and i'm cheating because i'm like i'm second guessing and third guessing and fourth guessing myself so and paul i do believe Twenty Thousand leagues was also uh, an opening day attraction so i i don't know maybe i should just excuse myself from the rest of this podcast and, and just check my disney badge at the door no, uh, it's all right. I have to check the book too. I mean, I feel better. Like, yeah, no, I have to check my book. And you know, thanks for Jim Corcus for uh, oh, for the best. Book. I mean, you know, the the Walt Disney World seventy one companion literally has every ride that was there and what was going on in that ride. I mean, the research he did was fabulous. He's incredible. So I am I am checking this as my reference point too because. Thank God. So don't worry. So if we're, if, you know, the people who are listening to this show, some of them have been to Disney World many times and the Magic Kingdom many times. They have an overall, like you referenced the, the idea of like how Frontierland would look different yeah. and how some of these other 
parts of the park would look different. It's really hard because so many of these things have become iconic to separate and go like, oh yeah, many of these landmarks were just were not there. Like I have a, I, obviously this is a podcast, but the shirt I'm wearing says mountain men, mountain man. And it has splash mountain, thunder mountain and space mountain. Not a one of those was there. Great shirt. Opening day. Great shirt. Thanks. I'm not a big fan of the, uh, the collar. But I like the I like the art on it. And you guys can't see the art, but I love I love the concept. But when I look at this, you know, Magic Kingdom, it's such a like a different experience than it than it is now. And one things uh, one of the things that you guys and I have talked about is how Disney World, when you entered it, did not have a thrill ride experience when you first went in there. Um. So it was much more about showing off of what the Imagineers could pull off back then. Um, and they got to debut the Haunted Mansion uh, about two years, I think it was, after Disneyland had opened. So they could show off those, all the, uh, the tricks that they, they were so cutting edge. But they were also premiering, I believe, the Country Bear Jamboree. Yeah. And the thing about our culture now I, I think that would be my choice because if I could go back to that innocence of 1971 that's a full 10 to 12 to 13 years before animatronics were in every pizza restaurant around the country at Chuck E. Cheese um, the experience of going in and seeing robots sing and dance and and have this like really just fantastic show where the music is just so odd coming out of these these bears mouths um and that wasn't a disneyland attraction it became a disneyland attraction but i i think that that would be for me one of those things if i could put on 1971 goggles and go back i think that's what i would go and target because you see all these shows back then there were only three networks on television and you would see these Disney World and Disneyland specials when there would be grand openings and things like that. And they would show off what the Country Bear Jamboree was or what the Haunted Mansion was. So like, if you look at the grand opening special for Walt Disney World, the Country Bears are front and center. Mm-hmm. They are, there's several peaks. What are you gonna Paul, say, John? Paul is, I don't wanna be wrong about this. I'm pretty sure Country Bears was an e-ticket in the, mm-hmm. wasn't it? That's an e-ticket attraction right there. So Matt's right. Mickey Mouse Review, which is another auto animatronic uh, extravaganza with all the Disney characters, all again. So their auto animatronics, as you said, Matt, were the new thing. I mean, the the, the 1964-65 World's Fair was where that actually debuted with Lincoln. And so, and that I think was kind of like Walt's entry point to saying, I want to do this park. Uh, you know, and I think I can do it. And I think we have the technology that, you know, and it advanced even further from 64, 65 to 1971. It's really, really hard given all the technology we've seen come to the Disney parks over the years to put that behind us and, and kind of marvel at the simplicity of the country bear jamboree. But back in 1971, that was blowing people's minds. And I would like to be there. I, you know, I, you see these old videos of people walking into Disney World and Disneyland, and they're all wearing suits. Yeah. I want to be there when their minds are blown. Yeah. 
seeing something like that. And I'm sure you wouldn't hear the creaking that you kind of hear now when you go to the Country Bear Jamboree. You can kind of hear the, the animatronics. Oh, they never fix them. that. Never fix that. It's part of the charm. Oh, it's totally part of the charm. I love it. But like, like that fresh, new vibe that it would be giving off, I'd give it anything. It would be like the 1971 equivalent of the Avengers Assemble scene in Endgame. Country bear, country assemble. bear assemble coming out of portals, <laughs> looking all epic. I, I oh, love man. how delightfully kooky that whole attraction is now. It seems so quaint, but my kids thought it was really funny and bizarre, and they were into it. So I would say yes, uh, even though my love for the haunted mansion is is clearly stated. Um, since I'm one of the I'm probably one of the disappointed fans that's finding out in 1971 that the Pirates of the Caribbean is not in the park. Mm. I'm going. I'm going for the animatronics of the uh, dazzling Country Bear Jamboree. You know, it's it's. I think you're right. Seeing those those the, the that technology and Disney's always been about kind of pushing the envelope with the technology, and so it's 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 tough to think about the technology before the technology before the technology and being mesmerized by it. Um, but yeah, to put yourself in those shoes, you know, again, just a few years prior, we had walked on the moon. So this sense yep. of optimism of what technology could do for us, I mean, it definitely it, it, it's part of our fun and our vacations and our play in the Disney parks. But I think also when people would see that, they're thinking if they can make it bare you know, move and dance in front of my eyes, then anything is possible. And I mean, just thinking yep. what people are going through. And by the way, I, I, I'm all about bringing back people in suits gawking through the parks. Uh, you know, as a guy who enjoys wearing a suit, I kind of like the idea of just kind of hanging out in Disney parks in a suit. I sometimes have after a nice dinner at Narcoosie's and uh, it's kind of- That is my nightmare. It's so hot. <laughs> You in a suit is fine, but me, that's so hot. I Just think about early July. No. In Orlando going on Splash Mountain in a suit. Well, I do take that. So there's a limit there. I'm not, I'm not wearing the suit on Splash Mountain. Thunder Mountain. Well, and, uh, uh, Thunder Mountain. My God. Imagine walking down Main Street, USA in a tie with 100% classy. It's the turn of the century. Oh, I'm sure it's classy, but it's also constricting. Only if about it. How long can you survive going full Dapper Dan? Oh, you Disney know what? World that's the new, the new season of Survivor. Too bad it's on CBS, but that's what they're doing. It's just dressing, dressing you up and throwing you in a Disney park. Sign me up, because I'm totally winning that prize. <laughs> If I get to wear a suit all day to di believe me, if that's what my if that's if that's if that is my torture to wear a suit all day in a Disney park, I will gladly take that challenge and win my multi-million dollar prize for for surviving because oh, I will. Lord. We'll come get you at the hospital, Paul. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> make sure you drink your water. <laughs> so, John, nineteen seventy-one. Little baby John is going through the gates. <laughs> Negative 21 years old John is going through the gates. Every once in a while, let's say this for the audience. Every once in a while, John squeezes in a reference to how young he is. 
And like, I know this is a happy-go-lucky podcast, but I want to reach through the <laughs> Zoom and strangle him. Okay, I'm the o- only member of this crew that's under 30, so. Um... I was under 30 once. All right. <laughs> Those were the days, John. my friend. All right. <laughs> Negative 21, John. You're going through the park. What are you uh, doing? So I, I get, I've given this a lot of thoughts, a thought, and I have a touring plan. So um, knowing that the crowds are actually not that bad day one, because so much had been made uh, in the press about how oppressive and crazy it was going to be. And there were going to be lines and lines there. The opening day crowds were actually quite underwhelming. I think as people figured, well, I'll go later. Um, Contrast that to what I think is going to be a bonanza uh, on the actual 50th. I think the very first thing I would have to do um, because it's tradition. Uh, I think I would savor Main Street before before doing this thing. I I, I love Main Street. I, I love the background music. I love the feeling and that sort of. Paul, you're talking about that brand spanking new restaurant. I mean, can you imagine Main Street like that? Just brand spanking, just new. You know, there's not. No, Disney does a great job at upkeep, but yep, no just, scuff. No, no scuff marks, no no gum that people smuggled in from uh, off property, nothing. It's just you and Main Street and that pristine castle in the distance. I think I just have to sit there and take it in just for, for a good long while. Uh, I mean, I, I the only reason I don't do that now, 50 years later, is because every second is precious in the Magic Kingdom. And uh, if you don't have Lightning Lane or Genie Plus, you better get on it. Um, but I think I really would just kind of take a moment to myself. And then, uh, after what I assume would be a disproportionately emotional reaction, uh, I would head to, it's a small world. It's tradition. Um, my grandma and my aunt, uh, always used to insist that we would go on that ride. My aunt Gail and my grandma Roe when they would take us. And so my very first trip to Disney included multiple rides on It's a Small World when I wanted to be anywhere else. And it's very funny because now got to go on It's a Small World. Uh, And it has to be early on in the day um, so that that song has enough time to properly root itself into your brain to the point where you can't get rid of it the rest of the trip. Um, So yeah, it would have to be Small World because uh, in the, if we're going back in time, my my grandparents are still alive um, and and my parents are, are young and so I just would want to look, kind of bask in that uh, nostalgia. It just reminds me of the Grasso side of my family. So that would be my first stop. It's an uh, e-ticket attraction, by the way, on opening day. That's right. And fancy this, Peter Pan's flight, not an e-ticket attraction, though Small World was. Isn't so, that wild? That is wild, because now Peter Pan would almost, as old as, as old as Peter Pan, Peter Pan's an opening day ride, and pe- people treat it today like it was an e-ticket on opening day. Oh, yeah. A small world, the, the wait times are definitely different between Small World and Peter Pan today. But back then, Small World was the e-ticket. So you, you'd have a little bit of a crowd there, probably. I would, yeah, I would. That's why I'd head there first. Um, that Definitely. I, if I could s- sneak in a re-ride on it, I think I would. You know, you got to go for, for something truly uh, timeless like that. And then I think... Um, I think I'd probably take a spin on the Walt Disney World Railroad. Um, I love that thing. I know, I know Disneyland has the dioramas and Disneyland is, 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 
you know, very special and unique in its own way, but there's something just so transportive being on that railroad, uh, especially when you're around frontier land, it just all works. Now, of course, it looks very different. There's no Thunder Mountain, there's no Splash Mountain tunnel, but I think that would be uh, something I would really enjoy. And then I think I'd close out the day. Uh, well, I'd probably do more things, but we're gonna skip over those things um, because you know we have a finite amount of time. But I think no day at Disney is complete without Tropical Serenade, which is the current day Tiki Room. I wanna see it in its original glory, in its original day one glory before Zazu and Iago came in and mucked it all up and before they truncated it now. I wanna see it with the fountain, the whole thing. I think that would be great. And I'm, I'm sure if I had time, I would like to go on other attractions, maybe the Jungle Cruise, the Haunted Mansion. But I honestly think I'd probably just want to take in the atmosphere more than anything else. I think I'd want to stick around Main Street, walk uh, around the original Frontierland, um, sort of those boardwalky areas. Um, the sort of the, the charming and small original Fantasyland. Um, yeah, I think just, just sort of generally enjoy it. Uh, we've come a long way in 50 years. You know, there, there was, I, it's very funny to see all the comparisons for the Magic Kingdom to Shanghai, Disneyland, Shanghai. I've seen all of those video walk, and of course I've never been there, but the, the video walk, it's quite sparse. The trees haven't grown in yet. Uh, there seems to be expansion pads everywhere. And I remember complaining about that to somebody, uh, an, a much, much older Disney fan, who said, yeah, well, that's how the Magic Kingdom was when we, you know, the trees were young, the, you know, half the park you see today wasn't built. So there, you know, there was a, it was large uh, and sort of open and some people thought it was sparse, but there was actually something so very charming about that, uh, that I think I would want to enjoy. There was something that I think people don't have now uh, on most days, elbow room. Oh yeah, oh my goodness. Oh my there was goodness. room to breathe and room to take in how big that park was, you know, from start to finish compared to even if you had been to Disneyland prior, if you were one of those lucky people who had been to Disneyland and then were on the East Coast to see just how much more room there was to walk around. Yeah. Well, it, they only had about 9,000 people there the first day. Um, and so people actually, some people have considered it kind of a bust. Um, they, they kind of labeled Disney World as, you know, not quite as good as its, you know, West Coast, you know, experience, because in the West Coast, their opening day, it was jam-packed, um, and people's heels got stuck in the yeah, asphalt. I was just about to say, you were also yeah. sinking into the asphalt, and they had the decision, what was it, the water fountains or the, uh, I forget what it was, and water fountains or toilets or water fountains or... Something crazy like that. Yeah, but they so in some respects, you know, uh, Dick Nunes, who is one of the you know uh, ma main Imagineers and and leads there at the Disney parks, um, said it actually um, uh, even though the, the 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 count was down, even though the 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 um, the, the six o'clock newscasters said they blew it, uh, Disney stock even dropped a few points on opening day, but he felt pretty good because the day had worked just exactly how they had planned it, um, which is to keep the crowds down because it, it, October 1st, contrary to what it will be like this year, 
October 1st was considered to be one of the lowest attended days and the lowest attended months of the year. So October 1st would have been, I think, I think Fridays in October were one of the predicted to be one of the lowest attended. And it really was, I mean, only 9,000 people showed up. So, you know, that was exactly what they kind of hoped for. They wanted to kind of ease into it in case anything, any of the the country bears went haywire or in case somebody tripped or fell, it wasn't like it was a huge, massive crowd or stampede. So I think you're right. The elbow room. Um, and then again, like I said, there's no, there's no thunder mountain. There's no, no splash mountain. There's no space mountain. So there's all that. And that it's not like that land, that land existed then. So it had just been open. And so it would have felt even, even more open and free. So, um, which now I think maybe back then they would have complained it's so big. Now we would probably say um, how much we would relish to have that extra space to walk around in. So, yeah, you think about it within, what was it? 10 years, 11 years, another park would be joining the Magic Kingdom. Mm -hmm. And within 20, 29 years or so, maybe less than that, another park would join. Yep. with uh, with uh, the uh, Hollywood Studios, which was MGM Hollywood Studios at the time. Um, and then Animal Kingdom. The fact that it all began with Walt having the dream, buying that land in Florida and betting on this second adventure for, for him and for the family and for thousands of Disney fans, that it all came together. Um, I don't think anybody including Roy Disney getting Walt Disney World across the finish line on that opening day. I don't think anybody could have imagined what they would have, what it would look like today. Yeah. No, it wasn't even in Walt's dream. I mean, Walt, Walt was looking for an, really an experimental prototype community of tomorrow. He was looking and not in the Epcot, like we know it today since, but he was, in the, in the last years of his life, he was really into urban planning. He was imagining what a perfect type, like he was trying to build the future and thinking what would a civilization be if it was properly planned and organized. And, and so urban planning for him was the key to the future. And so he was really into that. So that's not the direction it ended up going. Um, uh, and so, you know, and Roy kind of pivoted a little bit um, and really made it into, you know, leaned into what made Disneyland so charming was that it was an opportunity for families to be together and for memories to be shared with that and less about the urban planning experience. So yeah, it did shift and, and they, yeah, Walt wouldn't have predicted what it would have become, but I, so, which is where you kind of, you lean on Roy a lot. Roy really is is the great creator of Walt Disney World because I think his vision and his and his uh, he wanted to keep the legacy of Walt, but also build it in a direction that he thought would be most profitable because he was the money guy, mm. um, but also true to Walt's original vision for Disneyland, which is a place for families to create memories together. And so I I credit that. I mean I think that's oh, yeah. where we have to be. We have to lean a lot on and and be grateful for. Well, think of the stunning innovations that came out of Walt's desire for uh, enhanced urban planning and Roy's vision. I mean, the Utilidor system, something that was built for a variety of reasons, but was conce- you know, conceived for no other reason than Walt did not like seeing a spaceman in Frontierland. Right. Which my, the, the th- thematic person in me totally gets that. 
Yeah. Um, but this in, entire, this utilidor system with a sophisticated trash and uh, watering system, uh, what's built under the Magic Kingdom is miraculous. It's incredible. The grade being ever so slightly up on Main Street uh, to build the anticipation, but also to bring you to the level that is required for the utilidors and ever so slightly down on your leaving very, very slightly, almost imperceptible to make it just a tiny bit easier to leave the park. Um, and then what came of Epcot, what, you know, what was Epcot's original vision of, of, of sort of those pavilions of the, of the future and then uh, of World Showcase. I mean, Roy is the reason this happened. That's why it's named Walt Disney World. He wanted to make sure people remembered that it was Walt uh, that, that did all of this. And Roy had such a devotion uh, to his brother, uh, which is funny because everything you read and hear, Walt had such a devotion to his brother. And so that, I, I just, I love that, that, that dynamic relationship. And um, if you think about it, back to sort of Matt's earlier point, um, you know, Walt Disney died before the Florida project could even come close to fruition. I mean, they bought the land, announced it, talked a little bit about Epcot and that was it. And so you know, there was a, a probably a, a real moment, and at least I, I know there was sort of in the Disney companies, are we even doing this? Right. Are, are we even going to do this? And had they not done Disney World, would they have ever done Disneyland Paris, Tokyo Disney, Shanghai, Hong Kong? No. The answer is no. I mean, we can't predict the future, but uh, no, Walt Disney World was the pivot point for the company. Yep, yep. If anybody can, uh, if you're a Disney Plus subscriber, I totally recommend watching episode two of the Imagineering story um, because it really, it starts because uh, episode one ends with Walt's passing mm. in the morning of the company. And part two opens up on that note of what do we do without the man? You know, what, what would Walt do? And they were all kind of, all his employees, all of his devoted staff, Imagineers, they were all directionless. They were trying to figure out what would be next. And Roy kind of centered them, got them together and said, listen, I'm not my brother, but you have to decide what you're going to do next. And gave them that challenge. And really, that the late 1960s to, to getting that park open in, early, in the early 70s, it really is a reflection of the inspiration they were given and wanting to make their 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 first boss proud, um, and I think that there is you know we we oftentimes talk about especially I think online people talk about well what would Walt do you know and would, Walt wouldn't be happy and all this but one of the things Walt said in the Florida Project video the or the Epcot film as it became known um, which is one of his last legacies and his last recordings as when he was alive. Um, he what he what he said in that video was that the he kind of showed people all the different uh maps and and buildings in his little florida project room and he said something that is profound he said that many of the things here will change many times over you know while we're preparing and even afterwards and so when you think about what would uh what would walt do part of it is Walt would actually step aside and let innovation really take its course. So as people kind of complain, oh, this isn't exactly how it was in 1971. Um, and as we were just talking, like, yeah, the, the parks in 19, the, the park in 1971 
is is missing some of the attractions that we all love, um, that we we kind of cling to. Um, and that's part of Walt's vision is to keep it always innovating, always moving forward um, and never settling and never looking back at the past and saying, well, we have to stay there. Um, the past is there to enrich us. Um, I mean, even as we're reflecting back, I mean, I think of 1971, I'm enriched, I'm excited, I'm the possibilities are there, um, but it, it ultimately fuels me to be joyful for living in the time we live in now, which is to experience 50 years of Disney and all the innovations that Walt and his and Roy and Michael Eisner and all of the people in the Disney Corporation, Marty Sklar, who have kept that vision of innovation continually growing so that in a way, Disney World is never really finished. Um, so I'm hoping that maybe one day there'll be a podcast group uh, in 50 years from now wondering what it was like 50 years ago <laughs> to go into the parks um, and thinking, wow, things are a whole lot simpler back then. <laughs> and can you so, imagine? Can you imagine? And that again, imagine, that's the key word of it all. And I think that we're imagining going back, but what's ironic is that everyone in 1971 would be imagining where we are right now. Um, so the, the, I don't know if the grass is always greener 50 years later or whatever, but I think that's the beauty of the Disney parks is that they're constantly changing uh, and Walt would probably have it no other way. Yeah, four parks or three parks after this later, almost 30 resorts, two golf courses, two water parks, a sports complex where they have spring training. I mean- yeah. Spring training, they had the whole season for the NBA during- They had the whole NBA, oh my goodness. If it yeah. weren't for the sports complex at Disney, there would be no NBA season during COVID. I mean, that's you true. think about like, Again, you know, these are things we hadn't, I mean, an entire sports season in a bubble in Disney, like that's part of the innovation that again, all of this proliferation has built. Um, so. Yeah. Well, I think that is, I don't want to cut off our conversation, but um, I think that's a good segue into something that I just thought of right now. Um, and as, so as we approach this milestone and, and, uh, as we mark this milestone in our own lives, real quick, everybody, I want to hear from you. Matt, you could kick it off, uh, then I'll go, and then uh, Paul, I'll give you some time because I'm springing this on you. What does Walt Disney World mean to you? It means for me, and this is Matt, uh, it means for me not taking anything for granted, realizing that we've got one shot to do something great, and I think the the Disney World Imagineers and the Disneyland Imagineers knew that they had one shot to really wow people and, uh, and then go on, move on to the next thing. Um, so like the, the idea of always giving your best, that's what Walt Disney World means to me. And that's what, uh, that's what I think the, those Disney parks mean to me as well. That's, uh, that's beautiful. Um, I think for me, uh, Walt Disney World means uh, joy and awe. Uh, that for one moment, you can take a pause on, on all of the challenging and difficult parts of the world and feel nothing but joy uh, that such a place exists, that, that uh, the, there's 50 years of legacy that has come forward to bring you this, to, to help you to be happy. To, for me, it's, it's sort of joy and, and it's awe and wonder um, 
that childlike sense of awe and wonder and that childlike sense of joy that Disney, uh, Walt Disney never wanted us to forget and wanted the world to finally stop seeing that as a, as a negativity, as something to be loathed or kicked out. So much of sort of the uh, American or human experience uh, forces you to grow up and, and, and hold on to sort of what we define as adults or have, you know, sort of these heavier uh, ideals. But uh, Walt reminds us every single day with his parks all around the world and, and, and with the movies uh, uh, that have come from the studio and have been inspired by his legacy that um, that's actually okay to look at the world with joy and hope and awe and wonder. And if we all did that, the, the world would be a little bit of a better place. So I think it's optimism too, and hope, awe and joy and all of, the th all of those things. And I think I took all the words for Paul. So sorry, you got to figure something no, out. No, you didn't. In fact, I'm going to steal my words from Walt himself, actually, um, in, in that I, I, I look at the lands around the Magic Kingdom. Um, and to me, each of those lands is what Disney means to me. It means when I'm on Main Street, it speaks to the, it, it roots me in my, in where I'm from, my, where, where I come from, my roots, my family. When I think of the adventure and, and adventure, you know, Adventureland inspires me to take an adventure, to take a risk, um, to try new things. The Frontierland, uh, it, it inspires me to explore the unexplorable, you know, what, what, what's out there where no one has gone before, you know. I know that's a little Star Trek in, in Frontierland, which is exactly what Disney wanted to avoid. But anyway, I'm going there. Um, but, you know, again, that frontier, it means frontier. Liberty Square reminds me uh, of of my heritage, about of 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 my background, and what makes what what makes it great to be uh, part of of a legacy um, and part of the history and the traditions that come from that. Um, I think of fantasy, and I think of all of the things that are that we can dream, and you know that are, that dream the impossible. And finally, Tomorrowland always inspires me uh, to think about what's next, what's around the next corner, to think about that um, I'm, I'm, I'm all about nostalgia and that is my, it is a happy place for me, but I'm also about tomorrow and about what, what is tomorrow bringing. Um, I do think it's kind of interesting. There is no present often in, uh, in the, in Disney because it's always kind of pivoting you looking back and looking forward. So, um, so for me, the lands and what their really their root words are that's what disney means to me and i think it's a i think walt was brilliant in putting that that kind of um uh that spoken wheel experience um and then again where do you where do you leave the park every day and we talked last episode about perhaps a second wouldn't it be great to have that a second door into the magic kingdom and it, it would be kind of convenient but the, but the beauty of it is that you again leave through Main Street, which means you go back to your roots and you go back to what is at your core, uh, your family, that nostalgia, that thing that makes you, you. Um, and Disney World wants you to leave the park being the best version of you you could possibly be. And if it took a few moments to give you joy and optimism and hope and inspiration, if that's what it gave you, it made you a better you and you're rooted for that and you'll be constantly rooted as you go forward. So I think it's beautiful. You start there and you leave there. So that's kind of where I would leave it.
What an incredibly poignant message, Paul. <laughs> um, Amen. I, I don't even know how we follow that up. Um, I think that uh, we can best um, all say happy birthday to Walt Disney World. Happy 50th birthday. Thank you for all you've done, all the cast members and all the Imagineers and all the joy you've brought to us. Um, please, everyone, please subscribe. We're on Spotify, Apple, Pandora, App, iHeart, Google, tune in, leave us a review and share with your friends. Please join in on the discussion. Email us at thishappypodcast at gmail.com. Guys, it was a wonderful discussion. Thanks so much for joining. And uh, I think uh, what we can do now is tell everybody in the wor immortal words of Mickey Mouse, see you real soon. Real soon. See you real soon. Happy birthday, Disney World. Bye.